Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 402 with Christine Hassler. If you are perchance an overachiever in the midst, Christine's got some great perspective in terms of finding your joy and some peace associated with not always doing. So you'll learn one, the potential joylessness of overachieving, two, how to stop the constant doing by exploring your why, and three, four questions to reevaluate your limiting beliefs. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F402. And here's Christine's story. Christine Hassler is the best-selling author of three books. Most recently, Expectation Hangover, Free Yourself from Your Fast, Change Your Present, and Get What You Really Want. She left her successful job as a Hollywood agent to pursue a life she could be more passionate about. For over a decade as a keynote speaker, retreat facilitator, life coach, and host of the top-rated podcast Over and On With It, she's been teaching and inspiring people around the world. She's appeared on The Today Show, CNN, ABC, CBS, Fox, E! Style, and The New York Times. Christine believes once we get out of our own way, we can show up to make the meaningful impact we are here to make. You can visit her online at christinehassler.com. So big thanks to Christine for hanging out with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. It's a trying time that challenges all of our basic assumptions. However, one thing that brings us all together is our common humanity. Now more than ever, teams must come together and work together to solve big challenges. And Trello is here to help. Trello Part of Atlassian's collaborative suite is an app with an easy-to-understand visual format plus tons of features that make working with your team functional and just plain fun. Teams of all shapes and sizes and companies like Google, Fender, and even Costco all use Trello to collaborate and get work done. With Trello, you can work with your team wherever you are, whether it's at home or in an office. No matter what device you're using, computer, tablet, or phone, Trello syncs across all of them so you can stay up to date on all the things your team cares about. Keep your workflow going from wherever you are with Trello. Try Trello for free and learn more at Trello.com. That's T-R-E-L-L-O dot com. Trello.com. Now, here's Christine. Christine, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, certainly. Well, could you tell us the story about how you became a hand model? I'm so glad you didn't ask me, can you tell the story of how you're doing what you're doing? Because that's what every podcast interviewer asks me the first question. Oh, yes. I'm already distinctive. So you're winning already. I am so, I am just thrilled. So I love that you asked me that. You did your research. Yes, I was a hand model. Everybody's probably thinking, well, everybody old enough is probably thinking of the Seinfeld episode when George was a hand model. But how I became is because I would constantly get compliments on my hands. And I was in a period of time where I had left my corporate job and was working on building my own business. And I was in a lot of debt. And people kept saying to me, you beautiful hands. You should be hand model. And I heard it like five to seven times. And I thought, well, I live in Los Angeles. If there's any place where one could do that, it would probably be Los Angeles. And this was a good, you know, 15 years ago before computers were what are what, you know, are what they are today. And um, I went into, there was like a modeling agency that was, it wasn't called this, but it was literally a body parts modeling agency. <laughs> and I went Hands, in. toes, feet. <laughs> knees. 
And so butt, butts were a big one. And they said, all right, great, we'll take your hands. And so I did that. I didn't have that many shoots, maybe like seven to 10 of them. And I'd go in and I'd either be, you know, a model's hands if she bit her nails or didn't have the best looking hands. Or, you know, I did like a vino kind of things where I was like putting moisturizer on my hands. So it was anything from print to commercials. But it was an interesting gig. That's funny. Now, Avino, that's a pretty big name, I'd imagine, when it comes to hand modeling. Is, was that your your star showing? That was my biggest gig. You know, Jennifer Aniston is the face of Avino, I guess, for a brief period of time. I was the the hand. Well, that's good company in ter- uh, the, uh, the pecking order, I suppose. So, well yeah, done. Yeah, well, we never shot together. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's cool. You've got some really cool perspectives when it comes to overachievers. And so we got plenty of them listening to the show. And so I think it's important to get into your wisdom. So you say that overachievers often live secret lives. Can you paint a picture? What are some common fixtures or what do these secret lives often look like sort of underneath the surface? We're not born overachievers usually. So the key word in overachiever is over. There's something where it's out of balance. And I'll tell my story about how I became an overachiever and then kind of discuss some other ways that people do. So growing up, I had pretty good childhood. And then in fourth grade, things got a little harder for me when I started being bullied and teased and some girls for passed around a note and told people not to talk to me. And I became very isolated and felt like I didn't belong. And because of that, I formed a belief system that I wasn't likable and I wasn't enough in some way and that I didn't belong because in life there's things happen and then there's what we make those things mean and the meaning we give things creates our belief system and then our behavior is motivated by our belief systems. So what happened happened. Girls started a club. I wasn't a member, said bad things about me. I made that mean, I don't belong, something must be wrong with me. And that created a belief system that, you know, I'm separate, I'm different, I have to prove myself. Whenever something happens to us that we make mean we're less than in some way, we have to come up with some way where we feel more than. So that's something that I call a compensatory strategy. And overachieving is an example of a compensatory strategy. We feel less than in some way. We want to come up with a way to feel more than. So I thought, well, if I don't belong, if people don't like me, if something's wrong with me, then I'm just going to become really good at school. My social life is something that isn't working. I better be the smartest girl in the class. And so I put tons of pressure on myself to get straight A's. My parents would beg me to get a B just so I could put less stress on myself. But I wouldn't because my whole kind of identity was tied to overachieving. It's where I thought I got my worth and where I thought I got my value. And I was rewarded for it. Teachers praised me. My parents were proud of me. You know, I graduated at the top of my class. I went to a great college. And then I continued overachieving all the way out to Hollywood where I had a job there. And the thing about overachieving is because it creates a cycle of constantly trying to prove oneself, enough is never enough. And we become human doings rather than human beings. And other things can create overachievers is if, you know, your, your parents or, or a parent only gave you attention or validation when you did something, or if you grew up in a household where everybody was doing, 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 achieving, achieving. And so you thought that was what you had to do. That's how overachievers get created. And the secret life of overachievers that I have found in my own life and working with so many overachievers is that we're very, 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 very hard on ourselves. And although we're checking all these things off a list, 
most of overachievers struggle with feeling fulfilled. They, they have a hard time celebrating any kind of win because they check one thing off the list and then it's on to the next and enough never feels like enough. Well, and then what are some of the implications then? If you're hard on yourself, well, not only are you sort of enjoying your life less, but there's some research that suggests that that is actually counterproductive even when it comes to getting the achievements. Well, it's productive and it's effective. Let's not say it's productive. It's effective in that it gets people to get things done, but it's like putting bad gas in your car. It's not sustainable and it ends up depleting you. So you're more stressed out. You're putting more pressure on yourself. And whenever we're in a state where we feel more pressure on ourselves, where we feel more self-conscious, where we feel really stressed out, we don't perform at our best. And we're not coming from a place of really enjoying what we're doing. You know, research also shows that people that really enjoy what they do are better at it. You know, I was successful as a Hollywood agent. I, I worked my way up the ladder and I was effective, but I wasn't as successful as I could have been because I didn't enjoy it. So I think that's a big stumbling block that overachievers find is they're doing, 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 and they're stressed out and they're not enjoying it in the process. Certainly. Well, then in working with yourself and, and others, what are you seeing are some particular strategies that are really helpful in terms of getting things back in alignment? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily so much strategies as it is remembering the truth of who we are and doing some what we could call personal growth, personal development work. My work as a life coach and a spiritual psychologist is to help people stop living according to the story and the limiting beliefs they've created about themselves in their life and start living more in alignment with who they really are and the truth of who they are. So the thing about overachieving is because one is so focused on doing, doing, doing their whole life, a lot of times overachievers don't stop to ask, do I really like this? Am I really enjoying this? Is this really what I want to do with my life? Is this really the story I want to keep telling myself? And so the first, if we want to call it a strategy, the first thing to do is to really stop and take an honest look at is what you're attempting to achieve at even what you want? And why are you doing it? I ask a lot of overachievers, you know, why are you working so hard? Why are you doing, doing, doing? And most of them don't have that inspiring of an answer. It's usually something like, well, I have to, I have to pay the bills, or this is what my job requires, or this is just what I do, or I don't know what else I would do. Most people aren't going, 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 doing, 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 and saying, oh, because it brings me joy and I feel like I'm making an impact and I'm so happy. Usually the overachieving treadmill that so many people are on, like I said, is not leading to that kind of fulfillment. So the first thing is to get really honest about yourself of like, what is your why and are you really enjoying it? And then start to take a look back on your life, kind of like I did when I told my story of how this overachieving pattern ever began in the first place. I'd love to get your take there in terms of, you said you get some uninspired answers, you know, not so much the, this is my purpose that I love it and it, it, it energizes me, but rather it's kind of like there's in order to this, you know, kind of something else, like I got to pay the bills or it's just kind of how I operate. How do you think about the, I don't know if you want to call it a balance or a tango when it comes to doing the stuff that you love in the moment because you love it and then doing the stuff in order to achieve a result that's meaningful to you, even if the present experience of doing the stuff isn't so fun? Well, 
So what's the question? Yeah. So how do you think about that game in terms of there's stuff I love doing and there's stuff I don't love doing, but it produces a result that I value. So shall I continue doing that thing that I don't enjoy doing? Well, okay. I mean, we'd have to, I don't think that's a black and white kind of thing. I think you have to break that down. So if it produces a value, is it truly a value or is it a value like it makes me money? What is the value that it produces? And yes, there are things that, you know, I love my work. I really love it. It's incredibly fulfilling and I'm not driven by an overachiever anymore. I'm more inspired by my vision. Are there some things in my job that I don't love doing? Yes, but even in the process of them, because I'm so committed to my why and I'm so committed to my vision, the process is never like awful. Mm. You know, the process is never something that, oh my God, I just can't wait to get to the finish line. Because usually when we exhaust ourselves or we don't enjoy the process at all, by the time we get to the result, we're so tired and depleted anyway that it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. Like you, you celebrate it for a second and then it's like, okay, what's the next thing? So I believe in hard work. I believe that sometimes, you know, we'd have to pace ourselves a little faster and there are seasons in life, but the process should still be somewhat enlivening. It should still bring some inspiration, some joy because you're so connected to your why and you're so connected to your vision. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I really like the way you articulated that. And, and I guess I'm thinking about getting everything together for taxes, which I'm not a real fan of. But sure enough, because I am connected to the why and the purpose and, and what I'm about, even though it's not my top favorite thing to do, I can find a morsel of satisfaction in terms of, ah, all those figures are lined up just right and beautifully. How about that? And let me ask you this. Why do you do your own taxes? Oh, well, I have an accountant. I'm getting my stuff ready for my accountant to do his magic in terms of all the financial statements. Uh-huh. See, this is kind of another one of my personal viewpoints is anything that it's like, I don't know if you're familiar with that book. It's super popular. There's a TV show and it's a book about like tidying up, like the magic art of tidying up or whatever. Oh yeah. I saw an episode recently. Uh huh. Yeah. And she's like, if an object doesn't bring you joy, ditch it. And it's, it's kind of extreme, but it really resonates with people. And I, you know, recently was living nomadically for nine months and had my stuff in storage and moved into a new place now with my fiance and, and just got rid of so much stuff and use this process. Does it bring me joy? And I really have applied that to work as well. So even something like I have an accountant too, but I also have a bookkeeper. So I basically don't have to do anything. They just do it because that drains me and you don't have to be you know, a wealthy person to kind of do these sort of things. It's more looking at your life and looking at the things you're doing and looking what's what truly is an opportunity cost for you. Like what drains you and zaps you of your energy? Because anything I believe, anything that we're doing that drains us and zaps us of our energy, I feel is an opportunity cost. So one of the reasons that I was willing to work hard for a few years to really build my business. I knew I was in a season is because I wanted to get to the point where if anything was draining, if anything was an opportunity cost, I had two choices. I could one, choose to shift my energy and connect to the why, or two, I could delegate or hire someone where it was their zone of genius. So I could really focus on my why, what lights me up, and eventually what is more profitable. So I think whether we're an entrepreneur or we work for a company or any of those things, it's looking at everything we do and go, does this bring me joy? Does this bring me fulfillment? Does this stress me out? Like it's okay to feel neutral about things. It's not like, you know, you're going to jump for joy when you're cleaning your toilet or something like that. 
but can you at least connect to the why of it and why you're doing it and shift your energy around it? And if you can't, are you willing perhaps to hire someone else to help you out with it? And I think that's an important part of living a more fulfilling, well-balanced life is not thinking we have to do everything on our own because that's another thing overachievers do. Overachievers are a little bit, they're, we're a little bit controlling <laughs> and we take great pride in doing everything on our own. And we even kind of take pride in doing something that's hard or feels like there's some self-sacrifice in it. And I just invite you, if you kind of fall into that, not, not you personally, but just you, the listener, I invite you, if you fall into that, like, I got to do it on my own and no one's there to help me. And like, I have so much on my plate to really challenge that belief and ask yourself is is this belief and this identity of like doing it all on my own and you know having so much on my plate is that really serving you well i'm so glad you went there next cuz i was going to ask you mentioned these limited beliefs or limiting beliefs that's that's a great question right there is this belief really serving me when you catch yourself and you're thinking hmm i have a hunch that there's a belief here that is not serving me that is causing some trickiness, some, some trouble for me. What's the, the process by which you remove the, the power of that limiting belief upon you? So I'm going to actually reference someone else's work because why reinvent the wheel when someone else has such a great system for it? So have you heard of Byron Katie? That is ringing a bell. Okay. So Byron Katie has a website called The Work. I think it's thework.com. Let me see. I'm here on the computer. Let's just like find this out right now. We, the great thing about our age is we get instant gratification. Yes, thework.com. And she has a, has a worksheet where you can download it for free and it's about busting your beliefs and forming new ones. And she asks four questions and I can't remember them off the top of my head, but you can find it easily on her site. The first question is something like, let me see if I can pull it up because this is really, really valuable. Okay. So this is from the work of Byron Katie. The first thing to ask the belief is, is it true? So give me an example of a, a belief that you or maybe one of your listeners would like to shift. Okay. I need to produce amazing results every day. Okay, great. Is that true? Uh, well, I guess answering from the perspective of my listeners, like, well, yeah, I mean, halfway. It's like, generally I should, but I mean, hey, everyone can have an off day and that's fine. That's normal. That's okay. Okay. Do you 100% without a shadow of the doubt, absolutely know it's true? Like you'd bet your life on it. No, certainly not. Great. And how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought, when you believe it's true? Oh, I get stressed. It's like I've, I'm not doing enough and I got to kick it into gear and it's like, in, and the clock is ticking and uh, I'm nervous about it. Okay. And who would you be without that thought or belief? I'd be a lot more chill. I could, mm -hmm. I feel like I could breathe and kind of hang out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And do you think, and then now this is just me asking the questions, and do you think you'd be more effective that way? Yeah. 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 Can you see how we just turn that belief around? Certainly. Yeah. And found a more true belief that makes you feel better. Like when I'm relaxed, when I'm not so stressed out, when I don't put so much pressure on myself, I'm actually, and I'm putting words in your mouth here, I'm actually more in a flow state, I'm more peaceful, and I can be even more effective. Absolutely. Yeah. So simple. Four questions. People can take themselves through this process on their own. And when we connect, when we really, because a lot of times our beliefs are just programmed and we have these neural nets in our brain, these basically groove paths in our brain, the same way if you drove a car down the same path day after day after day, there'd be grooves in the land that the car would naturally go down. That's how it is with belief systems and thoughts. They're habitual. 
And so how we change beliefs is we literally, like if you were driving that car down that path, you'd have to turn the steering wheel severely to start to go down a different path. So it gets off those grooves that it naturally goes down. And so in breaking through belief systems, that's what we have to do. We have to catch the belief, challenge it, and choose a different belief. And if we can attach the belief to feelings, like if we can become really aware of how that belief makes us feel, then we can connect to how important it is to shift it and how much better it would feel to have a different belief. So it connects the thoughts and the feelings. I like that because you're getting both the logic and the emotional there, because the first one is, is it true? And, and I like is that there are some schools of thought that I guess don't even care. <laughs> right. And I think it's important that it be true. So you hit that as well as the emotional resonance so that it's, I guess, forming, you know, deeply within yourself as a reality. Right. Right. Exactly. Lovely. Well, I also want to make sure that we get to talk a, a bit about your book, Expectation Hangover. What's the main idea here? <laughs> Well, there's several ideas. It, basically, it's a book on how to leverage disappointment and heal things from your past. So first, I'll define what an expectation hangover is because I made up the term. So it's when one of three things happen. Either life doesn't go according to plan, which happens to us all. We work really hard towards something. We don't achieve a result or a goal. Or something does go according to plan. We achieve that goal. We achieve that result. Like We finally get the promotion that we've been working so hard for but we don't feel like we thought we would. Like we thought that promotion was gonna make us more confident or we thought it was gonna make our boss nicer to us or we thought we were gonna like our job better and it didn't change the feeling. Third kind of expectation hangover is life just throws us an unexpected curveball, like getting laid off or getting broken up with or something like that. The thing about expectation hangovers is even though they're hard to go through, they can create massive transformation in our life because most disappointment is recycled disappointment. And what I mean by that is anything you're disappointed about now or any kind of curveball that's thrown at you that's made you feel a certain way or a result didn't turn out like you thought and you feel a certain way, it's not the first time you felt that. So let's use the example of getting laid off. You get laid off. It's not the first time you felt rejected or unheard, or like you were treated unfairly. And so the book teaches you how to look at these expectation hangovers, how to not just get over them, because a lot of times when people experience expectation hangovers, they just want to get over it. They just want to move on to the next thing. All right, I got laid off from that job, I'm just going to get a new job. And they cope with it poorly. They overeat, they overdrink, they overwork. They just try to positive talk their way out of it. They try too hard to control the situation. They try to just be strong and basically suppress all their feelings about it and just plow forward. But when we use these kind of coping strategies that aren't effective, we just keep experiencing the same kind of expectation hangovers over and over and over and over again. That's why so many people face the same obstacles in their career or in their romantic life or with their health or with their money is because they're kind of just repeating the same disappointment. And so the book teaches you how to actually heal that disappointment, to learn the lessons, to transform it so you don't have to keep attracting the same expectation hangovers in your life. Intriguing. Well, could you walk us through an example of someone who experienced this kind of disappointment and then how they tackled it and, and how they ended up on the other side? Uh, me. All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm most expert on myself. So I worked my way up in Hollywood, like I said. And I reached kind of the pinnacle at a very young age. And I thought that the money and the title and all those things was going to finally make me like myself and like my job. And I still was stressed out, full of anxiety, struggling with depression, and just wasn't happy, didn't like it. And I thought if I changed my external circumstances, I could change my internal circumstances, but it works the other way. I subsequently learned you have to change the inside. The outside doesn't change the inside. So I ended up quitting my job. And in a period of six months, I also got dumped by my fiance. I was estranged from my family. I went into tons of debt and I dealt with other health challenges as well. And I could have gone into a real victim story about that. I mean, that was a pretty severe expectation hangover. And I had the insight that perhaps since I was the common denominator and all these things that were quote unquote bad, maybe I could be the common denominator in changing them. And I stopped asking the question, why is this happening to me? And started asking instead, why is this happening for me? And what am I learning? And I was able to start to learn more about myself and learn that so much of my job had been created, so much of my career was created from a, that compensatory strategy of overachieving, of thinking a job is what gave me meaning. You know, a job is what gave me value. A job is what gave me worth. And that really illuminated my unhealthy relationship with myself. I was looking at how hard I was on myself. My inner critic was ferocious. And having that massive expectation hangover and kind of losing everything that I identified with was the inspiration for me finally kind of taking a look at me and going, who am I? What do I truly, truly want? And how do I get it in a way that doesn't burn me out and and deplete me? And using the tools that I, you know, share in the book, I was able to go back to those situations like in fourth grade and update that belief system and tell that little fourth grade girl that it wasn't her fault and nothing's wrong with her and she belongs and she doesn't have to prove herself. And I started to create a new identity and a new story about myself. Our life changes the moment we start to see ourselves and our life differently. I've had so many clients and people that have come through to workshops and two people could be going through the exact same thing. Like two people could have just gotten laid off and they have the exact same situation, but how they look at it, how they perceive it, what they make it mean really dictates how well they'll navigate it through it. The person who is angry and sees themselves as a victim and sees themselves as being wronged or sees themselves as massively messing up and being a failure is going to have a much harder time than the person who goes, all right, I honor the fact that I'm a little sad right now. I feel a little rejected, but I'm going to look at what can I learn? You know, what can I learn from this? And I'm going to trust that even though I'm in uncertainty now, something even better is around the corner. And I really like that question shift from why is this happening to me to why is this happening for me? And, and I'm curious, once you ask yourself that question, what kind of answers bubble up? Well, that's a beautiful time to get a coach or a book or a guide or a course, someone that can help you through that. Because a lot of times, no answers may come up because you may be so in the disappointment and so in the, I don't know what I'm going to do because uncertainty is one of the scariest things for humans to experience. We don't like uncertainty at all. But if you're really willing to lean into faith a little bit and lean into the fact that the universe really does have your back and ask that question from a place of curiosity and not from a place of urgency, because if you ask that question from a place of urgency, 
it's going to be hard to get super clear answers because the part of your brain that's going to attempt to answer it is the reptilian part of your brain, the amygdala part of your brain, the part of your brain that is attached to fight or flight and to fixing things and to finding solutions right away. But if you reassure yourself that you're okay and you can ponder the question and you can be reflective, then you get in a state of curiosity and that opens up a different part of your brain, which is connected to your intuition your emotions, and your unconscious. Your unconscious is basically all the memories that you have filed away that aren't in your conscious awareness. So asking that question is important, but how we ask that question, our come from, that that tone of curiosity is really what is going to guide you to the best answers. Yeah, I like that a lot because the urgency, it, it totally feels different in your brain. I want it now. Give it to me now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well said, well said. A a good contrast there. And it even almost kind of rhymes. Curiosity, not urgency. (laughs) I like that. Appreciate that. Well, and so could you maybe give us an example in in your life? So you said you were estranged from your family for a bit. Uh, What did you come up with or or with your guides and coaches, et cetera, with regard to why why was that happening for you? Well, kind of what I was sharing before, it was to help me finally look at and deal with a lot of the pain from my childhood that I hadn't quite deal with. And a lot of the belief systems that I created from what I went through, because there wasn't just that, there was some abuse, there was being diagnosed with depression at 11 and put on medication. There was some other physical problems that happened. Like there was a lot, like most of us, you know, we all have things in our childhood that aren't necessarily easy. Some people have it way, way, way harder than, than I did. And most of us don't have the kind of parents and teachers and guides, even if they love us and even if they're great around us to really teach us how to deal with the pain so that it doesn't get stuck in us. And so that we don't create limiting beliefs that perpetuate the pain. So the biggest thing for me was to go back and start to look at some of those things, look at those painful points give myself permission to finally feel those feelings that I kept suppressed for so long. That's another thing I teach in expectation hangover is actually how to feel and release your feelings, not from the place that you have to sit and relive them or talk about your childhood for like five years, but just like give yourself feelings basically get lodged in our body and in our nervous system because we didn't feel safe to express them as children. So really releasing feelings is as easy as giving yourself permission to feel with no judgment. You know, giving yourself permission to have a good cry or to write a mean letter or to hit a pillow and scream and not feel like you have to justify it, explain it, or psychoanalyze yourself, but just really give yourself that compassion. So that was a piece for me, like finally feeling my feelings, starting to create a new story and a new belief system, looking at my relationship with myself and starting to be way kinder to myself, being more vulnerable. I was really good at being fine feelings inside not expressed. And I was really good at presenting to the world and to others that I was fine, but inside I wasn't fine. So I started to be more honest and more vulnerable with what I was really feeling and what I was really going through. And I started to let people into my life in a more vulnerable, honest way. So it was, and it was not an overnight thing. I mean, it's, it's a process to go back and look at the pain from our past and rewire our belief systems, but it doesn't have to be incredibly grueling and it doesn't have to take years. It really just takes a willingness, a willingness to look and a willingness to break some patterns and a willingness to change the way we perceive some things. Well said. 
Well, Christine, tell me anything else you want to really make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear some of your favorite things. Let's see here. I would say, I think it's important to mention to everybody listening that almost every human being, I'd love to say every, but I just don't think I can say every single human being. I don't think I'm qualified to say that, but almost every human being, and I have worked with thousands, tens of thousands of people at this point, has like a deep fear that on some level they're not enough or on some level they don't fit in or on some level they're not lovable or not deserving in some way. And it's kind of a human epidemic, but I found it's one of the things that we as humans are all here to evolve out of. We're all here to understand that that belief that we're not enough, we need to prove ourselves, we're not deserving, we're not lovable, or something's wrong with us, or everybody fits in, but we don't, is just a bunch of BS. So I want you to know if, if you feel that belief or have that fear in any way, know you're not alone, and also know it's 100% not true. It is your birthright to be enough, to be lovable, to belong. There's nothing you have to do to earn that. Beautiful. Thank you. Now, could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? My favorite quote is from Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. Beautiful. And how about a favorite study or experiment or piece of research? I love the marshmallow test. You know that test with the kids? Oh, Walter Michelle. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Where, just in case your listeners don't know, it's um, they, they put kids, I don't know, how old would you say they are, Pete? Like four or five? something like that. I think they're in that zone, you know, three, four, five, six-ish. Yeah. And it's all about delaying gratification. And it's, they, they tell the kid, all right, they put a marshmallow in front of the kid and it's a big juicy marshmallow. And they tell the kid, all right, if you wait, if you don't eat this marshmallow until I come back, then you'll get like even a better treat or something like that. And the research basically showed is that those that had self-control and were able to delay gratification, that instant gratification were more successful as adults. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? You know, I always go back to my, the first book that really opened my eyes to things that I read in my twenties, The Power of Now. Oh, cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool, something that you use that helps you be awesome at your job? My eyelash curler. (laughs) Let me see. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I would say one of my favorite tools is, is the one I shared of the busting the beliefs. Yes. Thank you. And is there a particular habit that is helpful for you being awesome at your job? Yes. Um, daily rituals and practices. So during the work week, I give myself more flexibility on the weekend, but work week, TVs and phones and everything off by 9 p.m. We have an hour in bed to read and relax. We turn on salt lamps so that the blue lights is coming off and we're falling asleep between 10 and 10.30 and waking up between 6 and 6.30. So we're getting a nice eight hours of sleep. I don't believe you can catch up on sleep. I think consistent sleep is incredibly important. And then taking that time in the morning before one turns on your phone, even if it's just a few minutes, to hydrate, (laughs) number one, have a glass of water, breathe, which can be meditation or just breath work, and move, any kind of movement to get the body just going. And whether you spend an hour doing that or five minutes doing that, I think that's a really, really important ritual. Absolutely agreed. I I am a a big believer in that as as Hal Elrod was on our show and as is he. I want to dig into a salt lamp. What's this mean? (laughs) A salt lamp. Do you know those salt lamps? They're basically, you can get them on Amazon. They, They look like kind of like a salmon colored rock. Okay. Okay. And they glow. And they create, now have you noticed that like those kind of computer glasses are that orange tint? 
that kind of red orange tint, a salt lamp lights a room with that same tint. Those of you that work at a desk or work at a cubicle, I would highly suggest getting a little salt lamp. They wouldn't, with other lights on, they wouldn't be super noticeable, but it's a great thing to put in your home space or your office space. Gotcha. Thank you. And is there a particular nugget you share with with clients or listeners that really seems to connect and resonate and and they retweet it and they, they quote it back to you? Well, I don't know if it's something that's about retweeting, but one thing that really resonates with people that I think is so powerful is really understanding. Well, there's two things I love to share if that's okay. Oh, sure. Um, The first is that forgiveness is not about condoning what happened. Forgiveness is about removing the charge you're holding so that you can be free. A lot of people don't forgive. They hold on to blame, anger, resentment, especially if something really awful happened. And they don't want to forgive because they think that means that the behavior was okay. And that's not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means releasing the judgments you have, releasing the anger, releasing the blame, understanding that it happened to help you learn and grow. You don't have to talk to the other person and say, I forgive you to forgive someone. It's an inside job. So if anyone out there listening is holding on to blame, resentment, all those kinds of things, I'd highly suggest you move into a process of forgiveness so that you don't have to carry that around. You know, we hold on to traumatic or hard or difficult events, even though they're in the past, we carry them around like extra weight, extra baggage by not forgiving and forgiving really lightens us up. So I'd say that. And then the other thing that I'd say that that is tweetable is that people pleasing is selfish. People think that being a people pleaser is like this selfless thing and it makes you a quote unquote good person. But really people pleasing is all because you want other people to like you. You don't want to deal with conflict. You don't want to have to say no because other people may be upset. So it really is about protecting yourself. So I would make a more self-honoring choice. And instead of being a people pleaser, speak your truth with love. Lovely. Christina, folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Well, I have a free gift I'd love to give your listeners, if that's okay. Oh, sure. So if they just text um, the digits 444-999 to, or no, they text my name, Christine, to the number 444-999. So C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E to the number 444-999. They get um, an ebook from me that's just a daily thing you can read to uplift your mind and heart, kind of a good like way to feel inspired and shift your perception on things. I tell lots of stories. I give lots of tools in that ebook. And then they also get my six practical steps to making intuitive decision-making, which sounds counterintuitive because why is why do you need practical steps to make an intuitive decision? But I found so many people are like, how do I connect to my intuition? So it's a very practical, experiential way to learn how to really connect your intuition. In that gift, you get, like, I guide you through a process of how to actually do it. So it's very, very tangible. That's cool. Boy, text you to 444-999. It sounds like textiful.com. Is that your uh, provider there? Maybe. I don't set this up. (laughs) (laughs) You got your bookkeeper doing your books. You got your tech people doing the texting. That's awesome. Well, this wasn't always the way. I used to believe that I would save if I did everything on my own. And then I realized, wait a second, like actually it's smarter to gradually build a team of people around so that you you can stay in your zone of genius. And do you have a final challenge or a call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I would say see if you can become more of a miracle worker at your job. Because a lot of times, you know, we can have a colleague or a boss or a situation that's upsetting us or that we don't like, or, you know, we get the Sunday night blues of like, oh, got to go back to work. 
And to be a miracle maker, the, the definition of a miracle from more of the kind of the spiritual perspective is a change in perception. So just challenge yourself to see if you could look at something that's bothering you about your job or work or somebody there. See if you can look at it through a different lens. See if you can change your perception of it such that you feel differently about something. Because the minute we change our perception, the second we change our perception and the way we look at something, we feel differently. Well, Christine, this has been a ton of fun. I wish you all the best of luck with your retreats and keynotes and coaching and podcast over it and on with it. Thank you. And, and all that you're up to. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate Christine's take on Reclaim and Joy, and I really appreciate our sponsors. Check them out. I really love the way Christine just kept surfacing excellent questions with regard to doing a little bit of introspection, a bit of reflection in terms of why are you feeling what you're feeling? What's behind that? Are these beliefs true? What are the emotions connected to it? So powerful. And I think that this could be a great one that you may want to pull up the transcript for. It's like, wait, what was that question? What am I supposed to ask? Because it's easier to just swish that feeling to the side and, and continue with some more work or stuff or achieving that, that you're up to. But it could be super helpful if you build in that time. This is the quiet time. I'm going to feel that thing that I was putting aside for a moment and I'm going to explore, examine it with some of the great questions Christine brought up. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F402. If you haven't already, I hope you push the subscribe button. We got a quick little reflection on Washington's birthday, President Day, Monday. But then on Wednesday, we got an emotional one. We got Matthew Lund. He was the story supervisor for Pixar. He's talking about what makes a story great. We get into some emotional goodness, and I think it's a lot of fun. So hope you catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, Check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.